Welcome to L&D Disrupt, the podcast dedicated to helping you overcome workplace challenges and prepare for the future of work today. I'm your host, Nelson Sivalingo, and I'll be speaking with the movers, shakers, and pathbreakers in L&D who are reshaping their organizations right now. Join us each week as we delve into the highs and lows of work in the industry to get to the real nitty-gritty stuff that you actually care about. This week, we're joined by Deb Gallo, Learning and Development Director at Sentinel One. We discuss the highlights and challenges of scaling L&D in a high-growth organization. Deb shares fantastic advice on a wide range of topics, from managing the changing requirements of a fast-growing business to bringing a company culture to life. The episode is packed with expert insight that you certainly don't want to miss. So sit back and enjoy. Deb, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks, Nelson. It's great to be here. Looking forward to our chat. I'm super excited to have this chat, especially because we're going to dive into a topic that's um, close to me, which is the idea of how do you scale L&D in a high growth organization, right? Um, I thought a good place to start is maybe to understand at what point do you make your first L&D hire, right? When's a good time to bring someone in and to start thinking about L&D? Good question. I'm biased, of course. That's as soon as possible. <laughs> Get them in early. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I do think the sooner the better. I mean, learning uh, will be happening in the organisation. There'll be learning happening. The sooner you get someone in who can help scaffold, structure, build it out, the better, um, and the more impact it will have. So uh, the sooner the better. And, and typically when you've joined, when's that roughly the point? Like which yeah. employee number are you when you join? Good question. I've, I've had a, a, a variety of experiences. So in the last couple of years, I was employee number 60 at a very small fintech startup. Um, I came in and the focus was building out the, the learning academies, which at that stage, I was like, oh, wow, they're so small and already thinking about this, which was great, uh, which means you have access to everyone in the organisation, the CEO, the right. C-suite, everyone, you, you have instant access. So that was great. Um, the other spectrum, I came into a 6,000 uh, person, couple of years uh, post-IPO, huge global company, second person in L&D. And at that point, I was like, wow, okay, this is a little bit late in the game. Um, So that was challenging because at that point, uh, you need to do a lot of work in terms of raising awareness of just what L&D brings to the business. People have been sort of getting on with things for so long that they're like, L&D, like, why do we need that now? So there's a lot of of influencing work that you need to do at that point. Um, And in my current role, we're at 1,000 people. I came in a couple of months pre-IPO. So there was a hunger, there was a need, um, and there was a lot of fires to put out as well. So it was a mix of um, good timing, but also a lot of work sort of getting things set up. So I've been on on all sides of the spectrum. That's super interesting because do you find one harder than the other like as in is it more difficult to change learned behaviors like this company's existed for years without L&D and so you're completely trying to rebrand and change the way things are done or is it better to start with a blank slate right where, where yeah. you start from scratch and you can kind of set the tone for what it is it's such a good question because I'm thinking back to that point where I came in at, at 6,000 sort of people mark and it was it was more of me adapting to the organisation. So it was it right. was 
challenging for me having to change my mind in terms of, okay, there's a whole lot of things that have been working really well um, that I don't want to just sort of wipe clean. Um, so how do I build on that? How do I maximize that while also introducing sort of other things that are going to help sort of scale learning and really create an impact? Um, coming into a blank slate, I'm a big picture thinker. I'm like sort of idea. So for me, the challenge is, okay, scale back, go slow, uh, can't do everything at once. So that's also challenging. So yeah, it, they both have their, their pros and cons. And have you always reported into HR or have you reported it into different parts of the business? Yeah, good question. I now in the the small startup that I that I had said I started reporting to the COO and then moved into HR. So I have the, for most of my career, I've sort of always been uh, within HR. Yeah, right. So I guess coming to the kind of high growth and scaling L and D. What are some of the kind of top challenges you face trying to do that? Yeah, I mean, in terms of scaling L&D, the, the challenges that, that I'm facing right now, so some of the challenges that I'm facing now is starting to think about, okay, the organisation is growing really quickly and that means that sort of sales are accelerating, the sales org is accelerating, it's growing. Um, we've got an engineering team that's that's also sort of growing massively and I need to really hurry up and figure out what structure do I need for a learning team to be able to support and also anticipate where the business is going so that I can already be sort of ahead of the curve a little right. bit. So I start figuring out, okay, if HR is structuring like this and sales is like this, and okay, how do I start thinking about my team? So that's the one bit. The other challenge is there's so many um, priorities. And so, so you need to think about, okay, what's going to make the most impact and what can I do scrappy? What right. can I sort of just get it out there? What's going to take a little bit more time and where do I need to bring in some structure, which right. in sometimes is a little bit like, oh, that's like the, the word that you can't say, but it's like, okay, I need to bring that in in order to be able to scale sort of learning. So, yeah, those are the challenges that, that mainly that I'm having right now. And what's your process there in terms of, you know, figuring out all of the priorities, then actually yeah. prioritizing those things. What's the process in figuring that out? Yeah. Yeah, that it's a it's a lot of talking to people and a lot of talking to a lot of people. So I think when I came into uh, my current role, the first month I just spent talking, listening, getting to know the business, getting to know the leaders, getting an idea of okay, what are the main themes that are coming out? What, what are the main pain points? Are there sort of synergies? Are there parallels around what everyone is is feeling what what everyone thinks they need and then figuring out okay so this is what I'm hearing this is what I know where the business is going okay what's going to you know what's going to make the most impact and what's going to help the business move forward even quicker um, so for me it's talking listening the connections making connections I think um, in L&D you need to be a connector and sometimes you find yourself being that connector because everyone knows you comes to you and you're hearing things from all over the place so it's being able to make those connections is, is really key and how do you kind of stay ahead when you know imagine the requirements when you're at 20 50 yeah. 100 200 500 changes right and so you've just kind of figured out what yeah. the priorities and what the structure is for a hundred person company yeah but, you know in the next few months you might all end up being a 200 person or 300 person company yeah. so what's your process for making sure you're always staying on top of the kind of changing requirements maybe even 
whether you need to change the structure, whether you need to go back to yeah. you know, the, the starting point yeah. and, and go again? Yeah, I think one of the, I think my golden rules is don't hold on to anything too tightly. So don't become in a mood with, with, any, with a structure, with a program, with anything that you hold on to it so tightly that you lose sight of where the business is going and then you're left behind. So being flexible, being able to pivot quickly is key. And knowing that what I'm building right now may not, it may not look like this in, you know, six months time, in a year's time, and it will change and evolve and that's okay. Coupled with that, if with that mindset, then what you're uh, creating and what you're producing, you're not striving for perfection. You're striving mm-hmm. for, okay, minimum viable product, let's get things out there. Um, and that then sort of evolves and, and, um, and yeah, you need to pivot. Um, it's hard keeping ahead of the curve. And, and I think that's why the, the relationships and the connections are key because you probably will never be able to be ahead ahead, um, but you'll be in the loop and you'll be able to, uh, I guess, support, to follow through, to react quicker than, than not. So those connections are really key. And Devin, it's interesting you mentioned kind of minimum viable products, right? Obviously, we, we hear a lot of this being in tech and product development. Yeah. At what point did you start kind of adopting this idea within the work you do within L&D? Because it still is you know, very rare. A lot of the work we see done within L&D is still very much the kind of big bang programs and large batch yeah, thinking. Yeah. Um, so maybe talk to me about at what point you adopted yeah. that idea and how that's changed your approach to L&D. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think back. Was there a moment in time? I think I can't. I, I can't remember of a moment, but I can remember a a feeling of frustration um, of having worked on something for so long and building it up, and then getting to the point where you're ready and it's already like, well, yeah, it's not quite. We've moved on, or yeah, it's great, but this is what we need now. And you're like, oh my God, I've just spent so much time sort of getting that perfect. So there's that feeling is very real. Like, okay, I need to be moving quickly. And and even I'm working on a project right now that is just the requirements are just changing as they go. And I'm thinking, okay, this is what I'm hearing this week. Okay, I'm going to prepare for it next week and just being nimble enough. Um, I think once you go through that pain of, of realizing, oh gosh, I'm actually... I'm actually falling behind. I'm, I'm not keeping up. Then you instantly, it's a mindset change of thinking, okay, I need to just get things out. And the what was challenging for me was the whole scrappiness, just being scrappy. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not too sure about scrappy. And and then, but then what what was <clears throat> eye-opening for me was that it was meeting and it was meeting the need. It was like, okay, so this you know program at from a sort of perfectionist view, my old sort of view is that it wasn't very polished, and but it was just exactly what my sort of teams needed. It was exactly it met the need. It sort of hit the mark, and I was like, okay, okay, well, if that works, then let's keep going down that way. So, yeah. How did you it's overcome? What one of the most common objections we hear when we we recommend taking more of a, a lean approach using the minimum viable product. Um, and one of the common objections we hear from um, L&D professionals is this kind of fear of failure, really, right? It is, there's this, I guess, this false sense of comfort you get from spending a lot of time having loads of layers of sign-off where you think when you push it out, it's going to be perfect. It's going to land just right. Obviously, we know retrospectively that's not always the case, but it's almost with an MVP, it seems like the risks of going wrong. How did you overcome that objection? Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's a bit like walking the talk, right? We talk about not having a fear of failure, learning from failings as part of a learning process, and that's how we learn. And it's funny that as learning professionals, we yeah. don't do that with our own sort of products. Yeah. Like, well, that I need to walk the talk, and if I'm if I'm advocating for this type of learning, then I need to demonstrate that I'm also sort of learning with what I'm producing and what I'm going out there with, and that's just fine. And it's also the framing up front of how you frame what you're doing with your stakeholder. We need to move quick. We need to to just become comfortable with failing and use that as, well, that's a learning. That's actually really useful because if I fail, then my next program, my next initiative is going to be even better. So bring it on. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and what about... You know, you mentioned around what works, what doesn't work, and an MVP kind of helps you learn that faster. And um, what does working mean for you, right? How do you know something is working, and and as a result, know what's not working? Yeah, good, good, good question. I think when I think about something that's working, when it comes to the type of of programs and and the type of work that I do, it's a shift in behaviour. And if there's a shift in behaviour, even if if it's a minimal shift, then it's on the right track and it's working. Um, if there's a shift in, in mindset, there's a shift in what people are doing, how they're doing it, then, okay, it's working. If there is no shift and it's just a purely, yeah, that was great fun, or then I'm like, oh, okay, that not sure that's what the business is really needs. Great oh. that, you know, that it had that outcome. But, yeah, I, I, I look for that, those shifts in, in behaviour. And, and how do you measure that debt? Well, you know, what, what's yeah. the thinking around it? Because, you know, one of the common things I'm sure you're aware of is there's a lot of yeah. measuring of completion rates, et cetera, typically because people find it it's the easiest way uh, yeah. for them to show some kind of, I guess I wouldn't even yeah. call it impact, but they at least know people are engaging with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. measuring behavior changes, obviously a lot more of a yes. challenge. How do you approach it? Yes. I mean that's the million dollar question, and I don't have I don't have the answer for that one. I'm sorry. Um, I'm still testing it out and seeing what works. But uh, but yeah, I mean you need to be very clear up front with okay, what is the the change that we're looking for? Uh, who uh, who's going to be accountable for that uh, for those measurements after the the event or, or the program? Um, stating that up front, and then having your stakeholders on board to follow through because it can't all land on L&D, um, it's just not doable. So it's having the right partnerships with with the people involved, the the people who are learning, the managers, other people to, it's a, I think it's a, it's a team effort. Um, And it depends on, it also depends on sort of what the behavior is, uh, the priority of that behavior. So you would then look at, okay, different, who do you pull in uh, at what point and how accountable do you make them? So it's, it takes a lot of uh, influencing and good relationships with people. <laughs> and given the whole kind of hybrid environment now, Deb, what, what, what have you seen works and doesn't work for you in terms of delivering uh, learning to, to, you know, such a different, it's a new challenge, right? <laughs> I think we, we're seeing a lot, a lot of organizations going from classroom to overnight. Yeah. You've now got to find a way of dealing with distributed teams in, in different environments. So yeah. what, what have you found works yeah. for you? Yeah, look, I think the, there's, I kind of see it as, as different, um, I guess, different experiences, the, the in-person experience, the, the hybrid experience, um, and then you've got the virtual experience. So the way I see them is in-person is everyone's co-located, everyone's in the same, the same space physically. Um, we have that down pat. We know sort of what works in that space. I think what's 
new-ish is the the virtual is is not new. I mean, it's been around for a long time. I think we've gotten better at it over the last two years. Um, and the learnings for me around virtual learning, where we're all virtual, um, is just that the importance of connection. Um, before content so initially there was a lot of okay let's just convert what we're doing we had this two-day program okay let's just shorten it convert it into zoom and it'll be fine and quickly we realized okay no that doesn't work so there was a a process of, of thinking through okay how do we connect people in the virtual environment how do we create those deep connections which you can do in very short sort of amounts of time so it's definitely doable but how do we we kick off with that create an environment where there is that connection and then give them just enough content um as, as much just not not overdoing it in terms of the content um so that's kind of the thinking around that we've for virtual um we launched a an onboarding so we've got a sort of global team and what I was looking at is, okay, I need to create a connection to our culture and I need to create a connection within uh, within our, our new hires, within within the group, and also uh, a connection to our leaders. So I said, okay, right. how do I sort of architect that? Um, and the way we did it is with facilitated discussions. So, again, something that we learned is that just sending people off into a breakout to sort of talk about A or B, yeah. It works to a certain point, but you need to you need to sort of be more intentional about what it is that you're getting those people to do. So we've got facilitated conversations with a platform that guides them through some scenarios, some conversation points, and in a fun, interactive way. Um, and then we have a we designed a custom escape room, uh, mm-hmm. which is around catching a hacker. So it's okay. Well, we work in cybersecurity. How do we bring in a bit of the the what we do in a fun right. way to engage people from the beginning? So use tech in a way that sort of engages um the last piece the the hybrid part where you've got people online and you've got people in person i think is going to be the most challenging because that will really it really requires a lot more intentional design of the learning experience and you also need a lot more scaffolding so if you've got people online you need someone ideally who's managing and facilitating the interactions and the dynamics that are happening online someone who's also co-facilitating the the in-person experience and then you're sort of bringing that together so it is challenging it's doable uh definitely and i hope that that we get better and better at it because i do see that that's going to become more and more um yeah more and more common and what's your kind of decision making workflow deb for like do you go synchronous do you go asynchronous because i imagine especially with distributed teams people working possibly on different time zones and obviously it's a huge time commitment and in high growth companies the most common thing we hear is you know everyone's time poor everyone's busy right and and therefore synchronous is a time commitment from the employee so what's your kind of decision making process for which one to use yeah, it's. I don't know if I've got a, a kind of a decision process, but there are things that I that I evaluate and I look at. So I think one of the the things that has that has come up as a um as a, as an important point to to think about is the past experience and the expectations of the learners. So I've been sort of. Uh, training groups that have had most of their learning in person. Um, So shifting that to virtual is more than just saying, hey, we're doing a virtual session, but there's a whole mindset shift and influencing that we need to do. Now, once you get them across the line, then okay, that's it. But that takes a lot of 
work. Um, so I take that into account. And also then the logistics of, yeah, geographies and time zones and, and things like that. I've, I've delivered programs and I've proved that virtual works. You can go deep. You can create connections. You can learn. People can connect. It can work. But there needs to be a readiness um, to, to do that. So a couple of things to, to dig into before you dive in. How do you prepare that readiness, Deb? I know it's probably a big, yeah, big, big question, but what are some of the little things that you've yeah. um, that you found that works for you? Yeah. I mean, word of mouth works, like the good old-fashioned right. word of mouth, you know, writing yeah. a program that goes really well. You get a couple of people to experience it. Hopefully you have a few of the skeptics in the in the in that group as well. And then once they realize, oh, actually, that was a lot more impactful than what I saw and then right. word starts getting out. So it's a little bit of, of uh, yeah, influencing and, and getting that word of mouth out works wonder, especially when you have groups that are in person, they're talking, things are happening. Allowing that sort of to spread is really powerful. So simple, old-fashioned, but it works. I like it. Um, and what about in terms of co- creating content and curating content, right? It, at what point, it sounds amazing. The idea of a, a virtual yeah. escape room um, to find a hacker sounds awesome. Um, at one point, do you make that decision, though? Like, And, and for which, I guess, needs do you think um, creating your own content that is on brand uh, makes sense? And when doesn't it make sense? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, uh, for me, it's... The what which are the moments in the employee experience that have the biggest impact on a person's engagement, on their sort of views of longevity within the company? Um, and when you sort of start looking at that, the starting point is key. So onboarding, and there's a lot of data out there that points a really strong, impactful yeah. onboarding really paves the road for a successful, sort of uh engaged employee. So I think putting the time and effort and resources into a really impactful onboarding is key. So that would be one. The other one is, uh, for me, leadership. I think leaders and managers have an enormous ripple effect within the organisation. So getting that right, the payoffs, are they just multiply because it has um, that effect. So that would be another the other instance, yeah. All right. And the other one, I guess the last one is culture, which we haven't sort of touched upon. But when you're, when you're, when you've got, culture as, as one of your pillars, one of the, the focus areas for L&D, that's also important. And, and especially if it's an organisation that is culture-led, that's going to be key because that's what you want to, one of your, I guess, the, the objectives is to embed, to scale that culture. So you do need to put sort of the required resources into that. And let's talk about that part, Dad, because, you know, scaling culture is one of the many challenges of a high-growth organisation. And so, how do you think L&D can play a critical role in helping scale that culture? Yeah, it's. I think L&D plays a huge role. And, and first of all, because of the, the contact points that L&D has. I mean, when if you map out the, the employee sort of journey, L&D comes in at some really critical points, onboarding, sort of transitions, leader development, all those points where culture right. is really central to that. Yes. So I think for L&D to, to take that into account, to embed and to weave that into the, the learning is, is a no-brainer, is key. The other, the other, I guess, um, side to that is having culture as a key focus, which I haven't had. I mean, 
at Netflix, it was the sole focus of learning yeah. was culture. Um, and that I hadn't experienced that before to that degree. Um, so, and in that sense, you, L&D, again, you have the scope is huge because it covers everyone um, right. and it's key to everyone's role. So I think I really loved that L&D could play such, such a central role in something that touched sort of everyone. So that was really great. And just on that, you know, given your experience at Netflix where culture was so central, how do you make sure culture is not one of those things where, you know, it's it's printed on the walls, stuck up? It, we say this is our culture and, and these are our values, but how do you turn it into something that is actually put into practice um, and, and, and people really see it, experience it as, as almost quite a risk tangible thing? Yeah, I mean, you need to be intentional about it. Um, and, and also, I think I keep going back to sort of mapping things out, but really uh, ensuring that it's a central, uh, intentional part of key moments right. um, and then engineering that. So I know that we talk about culture as something that you can't engineer, that that it develops, that it, it just is, but you can create some scaffolding or, or some support for people to um, be able to unpack the culture, to be able to understand it, to be able to uh, talk about it, to have forums to talk about it. Um, that coupled with role modelling is key. Um, so ensuring that you're being explicit about having to role model and to really uh, live the culture from the very beginning, even from before so through the interview process is right. key. So there's there's a couple of things there that you really have to work at, and it's a constant working at it. Um, have you got examples of how this can be implemented well or where you've seen it implemented well? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I've in the past, we've run some really successful culture conversation sessions. So right. very simple. Um, we would choose one aspect or one element of our culture to talk about in small groups with a leader coming in to, right. you know, storytell, share their examples. And it was very, it was very simple, um, but people loved it, especially new people coming into the organisation, just having a forum where they could just hear, listen, ask questions, debate sort of unpack it was like right. oh okay we're actually talking about it and then going out and sort of putting it into practice and then maybe coming back and then talking about that so that was really powerful oh, I think yeah. we might try that culture conversations I like it um Deb I could carry on going but we've now got to the quick fire round I'm gonna fire some questions awesome. at you and you can give me a relatively quick answer okay, let's see are, how you, go. are you ready Yes, I'm ready. And <laughs> um, what excites you about LD? Yeah, what excites me? I think uh, definitely the just the, the trajectory that we have ahead. I mean, with things changing so rapidly with ways of working and, and the great resignation and everything that's happening is just such a big opportunity for LD to step up, and that's super exciting. What's the one skill that you think is critical for LD today? Listening and asking questions. Right. I like it. Um, what's the one thing you've learned from someone you've worked with before? Yeah, I had to think about this. Um, upwards feedback is really powerful. So I had a manager that I gave some upward feedback to and it just strengthened the relationship and it made me think, wow, I really should have done this ages ago. So definitely something that I took with me. It's definitely a skill and a skill that I appreciate. It's hard. Well. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess it comes back to, you know, psychological safety in the organization. Yeah. You, you have to do that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
what are you most proud of? Yeah, um, I, I've had a, a an amazing last couple of years, just so many experiences, and I think that coupled with uh, building a family, moving to a new country, for me, the last four years have just been amazing. So when I look back, I'm like, yeah, those last four years, are, I did pretty well, so pretty proud of myself. Um, what's your favourite productivity hack? Yes, this one. I absolutely love a little product called Tabs Outliner. And I'll send you the link. It is amazing. But I have a million tabs open. This saves my tabs. I can group them and then I can just open them up in the morning and I've got everything nice and sorted. I don't need to freak out when my laptop crashes. So I love it. Yeah, that is music to my ears. I've tried so many different ways. Do you think it's a habit you, have you to try shake this. off? But it's, it's a struggle. Um, yeah. yeah. I think anyone who has multiple tabs knows that feeling when your laptop all of a sudden goes AWOL yep. and closes on you. Yeah. yeah. And it's so beautiful when I open this up and it says it has all my crash tabs. I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the last one for you, Deb, what's your biggest personal learning? Yeah, I, I kind of alluded to it before. Uh, being a parent for me is the ultimate learning on the job. It's the ultimate. <laughs> you don't get a manual. You don't get a course. You can go to courses, but there's nothing like the experiential learning on the job. And for me, it's been just, yeah, mind-blowing. What learning are about skills? myself and my kids. What, what oh, are the gosh. skills you can pick up? transferable so many, skills, uh, transfer yes listening <laughs> uh, influencing uh, de-escalating <laughs> <laughs> managing conflict <laughs> oh so many uh, yeah, uh, and i'm sure and my kids are my, my oldest is a four and a half so i've got years of learning <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh all the best with with the parents awesome. and thank you very thank much you. for your time it's been amazing cool. thanks nelson i've really enjoyed it Thank you so much, Deb, for that brilliant conversation. I mentioned it was a topic that I'm interested in, and it certainly didn't disappoint. I completely agree with Deb's approach to flexibility and can say from experience that it pays to be prepared for change. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe or tell a colleague. And if you'd like to connect with myself or Deb, our details are in the show notes.